This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets learned about Goro's past. They discovered that he was once a human being named Figaro Finnegan, a teacher at the Academy of Wanderers and famous for his breakthrough discoveries. A fellow professor, who went by the name Professor, was jealous of Goro's success and tried to steal his research and claim it as his own. Using a small group of rebellious students who referred to themselves as the Exiles, they conspired to take all of Goro's findings and ruin his career. 
But their attempts failed until Goro's best student, Modiva, or Diva, betrayed him, convincing him to give her his latest research only to turn around and give it to the professor and his exiles. Together, they ruined Goro's career, destroyed the academy, and used Goro's stolen technologies to rule the galaxies. The cadets were later alerted to an approaching ship. Diva's ship. And now for episode 12, Diva. A tall, high-heeled shaped ship closed in on the space train. It loomed hundreds of stories above it, glittering with wide windows, gold and silver panels, and massive decorative jewels. At first, Doug and the cadets couldn't believe what they were seeing in the cockpit screens. Was that a humongous metal shoe that was chasing them? There was no way. From space, it looked like an enormous shiny boot was winding up to kick a silver snake. The alarms in the space train were going berserk, screeches echoing down every car, making protective shields slide down over the windows and the Cosmic Cafe chef bots retreat back into their kitchen closets. Leo, give me all the juice we got! Goro shouted over the alarm. Leo's fingers flew between controls, redirecting nearly all the train's power to the engine's boosters. One last pull of a lever and the hum of the charging engines shook the cockpit. Here we go, Goro said, gripping the controls. A long, glittering metal tentacle stretched out in front of them. They watched it through the cockpit window as it reached past them and then whipped back, suddenly coiling itself around half the train cars. A second alarm sounded as red lights now flashed all around them. Every screen displayed a warning. Another long, glittering tentacle whipped out in front of them on the other side before snapping back and wrapping itself around the rear train cars. Hit it! Goro shouted. Leo threw the boost levers. The engines boomed and everyone jerked forward only to be immediately slammed back into their seats. They were going nowhere. Doug stared out the window at the shiny tentacles in disbelief. They had them in a python death grip that squeezed around the train the harder it tried to flee. They weren't just holding them back, they were pulling them back. From a distance, the train could be seen, tangled in the giant jewel-covered shoelaces of Diva's high heel ship. The robotic laces pulled the train towards the opening hangar bay doors and the toe of the boot, like stringy fingers feeding the gaping mouth of a hungry beast. As they passed through and were brought to a stop, Doug shot up from his chair. We've got to be ready to fight! He said, looking for something to use as a weapon. He remembered the big, heavy blaster he'd taken from Jojo Mijo's ship. He ran and grabbed it from his closet. What do you think you're doing? Goro said as Doug returned holding the clunky weapon. Goro, we've got to be ready for anything, Doug said. We can't just stand around and let them take the train, or us. We have to fight. Doug tried to look like he knew how to hold the huge blaster, but he looked like an infant trying to hold a huge Nerf gun. It was way heavier than he remembered, and half of it was covered in switches, switches he should probably have figured out before using the thing. Oh well, too late. I'm sorry, Captain, but that is not how we do things, Goro said. Space train cadets do not kill. We don't have to kill anybody. 
Dallas added. We could just blast their toes so they can't chase us or something. Or their hair. If they're really big about the dew, which the shape of this ship suggests, we'll mess up their hair real good. That should rile them up. Blobby chirped on his shoulder and used his gelatin body to mimic someone losing their big hair and being devastated. Lydia raised an eyebrow. Like any of us are going to be able to aim inches above their faces to blast away their hair, she said. Hey, I've been hunting every year of my life since I could hold a gun, Dallas snapped back. Doug kind of liked seeing the two argue. Goro jumped in. I said no. There will be no weapons taken off this ship. Lydia, hide the knob under the console, will you? That's the last thing I want Diva to find. Suddenly, the exit doors opened and in marched six perfectly sculpted men, wearing black glittery pants and vests. Their hair was big, wavy, and dramatic, probably being held up by a gallon of hairspray. Told you we should have gone for the hair. Dallas whispered to the others as they were handcuffed. The guards, or backup dancers, or whatever they were, led the cadets out of the train and into Diva's ship. As they were carried away, Goro leaned over to Doug, his mustache frowning and his robot expression clearly disappointed. Next time, Captain, I'd appreciate it if you would tell me when you decide to bring a souvenir back from a mission. I'm sorry I didn't tell you, Doug said, feeling ashamed. Goro had trusted him with a lot of responsibility. The last thing he wanted to do was let him down. Goro didn't respond. He marched on with his hands tied, his conscious crystal readying to send ideas of escape to his gears. He seemed particularly concerned about Leo for whatever reason. As they walked, he kept him close by his side like a mama bear guarding her cub. Doug noticed that Dallas was limping. What's wrong with your leg? he asked. Dallas and Blobby looked at each other. Just got a Charlie horse, bro, he said. Don't worry about it, dude. I'll be fine. The quiet backup dancers led the cadets through the ship, which looked more like a pleasure cruiser than a war vessel. It was as if Las Vegas had built a new Titanic and set her off into space. Lights blinked along the railings of grand, curved staircases. Glass elevators lined with gold and covered in diamonds took snooty, big-haired passengers up to the hundredth floor. It was like they were in Hollywood. There were theaters, costume and makeup departments, different sets, special effects studios, and countless glass cases of awards, golden figurines and plaques from all over the universe. Most of the walls were covered with movie posters and bulbed frames, all featuring a single actress in different costumes and set to different backdrops. She was a frail, pale woman, with big black frizzy hair, dark purple lipstick and eyeshadow, and long, painted fingernails. In every picture, she was posing melodramatically with her head thrown back and the back of her hand held against her forehead. Doug chuckled at an especially ridiculous one of her doing the pose in front of an army of sword-wielding babies. The backup dancers pushed him past it and escorted the group into one of the fancy elevators that took them to the hundred and first floor of the ship, Diva's penthouse. When they walked through the tall, bejeweled French doors, they found a film crew huddled around a few middle-aged women shopping at a fake clothing store. 
Little hovering robots with camera heads floated around them, recording every angle of the scripted action. Did you hear about Diva? said one of the women in a hushed tone to the others. The other women around her leaned in to hear the dirty details. You'll never guess who I saw her with at the club this weekend. Marcos. The other women gasped. That's not the best of it, she said. They ran off and got married that night, and together, as a token of their affection, got new noses. The women couldn't believe it. Doug noticed a man behind the cameras celebrating the successful take. He counted down to someone in the shadows queuing their entrance. When he got to zero, out walked Diva, the same pale, big-haired woman from the posters, only her nose was the size of a giant pickle. She pretended to pop out of the aisle next to the other ladies as if she'd been there all along. Is there something wrong with my nose, Jessica? She asked in a low, dramatic voice. Jessica pretended to be stunned. Diva, I, I didn't know you were there, she stammered. We, we were just passing through, shopping for some nose. Clothes, I mean, clothes. The other women giggled. Cut, cut, shouted the man behind the camera. Bonnie, why weren't you giggling with the other girls? This is reality TV. It wouldn't feel very real if you're just staring off into space while everyone else thinks the situation is funny. Bonnie! Bonnie! Uh, sir, that's a mannequin, said the assistant director. Oh, the director said, amazed with how much the real woman looked like the plastic doll next to them. One of the backup dancers coughed to get their attention. Diva and the others turned to see the cadets, watching in the shadows. Diva's shocked reaction looked way more authentic than anything she'd done during the scene. Go to commercial, she ordered. I need to powder up. As the crew disassembled, she yanked off the fake nose and walked over to the cadets. She looked them over and smiled when she got to Leo. Finally, she said. To my suite. She snapped her fingers and the backup dancers did a synchronized clap and slide as they turned to escort the cadets to another room. Dallas struggled to keep up with his limp. Following close behind were two of the camera bots, filming every piece of the action, interesting or not. Diva strutted over the red carpet until they reached her private suite, which took up almost the entire top floor of the high heel ship. She blew a kiss at her reflection in a small mirror by the door. It beeped and the golden door opened. <sighs> Lydia was speechless when they stepped inside. Everything from the floor to the ceiling was covered in jewels. The only thing that shined brighter was Diva's collection of awards, well-lit and polished in their glass cases. Diva pulled out a little skinny microphone and sat down dramatically over her long purple sofa. When she spoke, she did so into the microphone, adding lots of dramatic head movements. When they told me they'd found a great new set piece floating out in space, I never imagined it would be the space train, she said. Oh, Goro, metal looks good on you. Goro had a hard time making eye contact with the girl who betrayed him. Hello, Diva.
This is it, huh? She said, motioning to the cadets with her long fingernails. This is the best you could come up with to continue the wanderer tradition. They're the best I've had, better than you, Goro said, now looking her straight in the eye. Diva laughed. <laughs> I seriously doubt that. You were always one to embellish your accomplishments. But I must say, you have managed to create all sorts of trouble for yourselves. Forget the other exiles. They're a bunch of fools. It was only a matter of time before the curtains fell on them. Some characters were just meant to be written off. Now the professor... We aren't afraid of the professor, Doug said, stepping forward. Of course you aren't, child. You haven't even met him yet. But I can assure you that when that day comes, fear won't begin to describe it. Let's cut to the scene, shall we? I've got a crew waiting for me, and I don't want my makeup to fade before our next take. Goro, I'm prepared to make a deal with you. Leave Leo here, and in exchange we'll call a truce. We both know I have pull with the professor. I'll make sure he withholds his wrath from you. You've cost him dearly lately, and I know he's ready to make you pay dearly for it. Leo hid behind Goro like a shy toddler. Doug, Lydia, and Dallas looked at each other, stunned. Why would she want Leo? Out of the question, Goro said. He's staying with us. Dia waved dramatically for the camera bots to stop recording. What are your terms, Goro? I'm ready to pay handsomely for him. I could use his programming skills to push my broadcast signal deeper into the universe. Broadcast signal? Lydia asked. Uh, every planet within the nearest five solar systems has no choice but to watch my shows. Diva explained, enjoying every chance to talk about her greatness. I've taken over all broadcast signals, and therefore control all TV and streaming programming. The more planets I get under my network, the greater influence I have over them. Not to mention the advertising dollars. Oh. Leo here can help broadcast my shows even further into space allowing me to control the media of several more solar systems. In his honor, I will start with the star systems and the constellation Leo. Uh, constellation? Dallas asked, his blobby friend looking equally confused. Uh, honestly, Goro, have you taught them anything? <laughs> Diva said. She pointed to the stars out her wide window. A constellation, child, is a group of stars that form a recognizable pattern. On Earth, you only recognize 88 of them. You name them after their shape, calling them by gods, hunters, princesses, and mythical beasts found in your Greek mythology. Like Leo, barely in the shape of a lion and named after the lion killed by the great mythological hero Hercules. Those stories, of course, don't really serve a purpose. Their real purpose was to help you orient yourself. They've always been used by navigators to find their way around the night sky. But you see, 
Your constellations don't exist on most planets because you only see them from your unique position. So while it may appear that these stars belong to a group, they are very much alone. She raised her eyebrows at Goro. Since I know how much you love teaching with these types of analogies, Goro, I'll humor you. I am like one of those stars. I don't like to consider myself part of any group. She looked at Leo. And something tells me that you, Leo, are much the same way. Join me, and we will create the greatest and wealthiest media operation in the universe. We've heard enough, Diva, Goro jumped in. If anything, you should be the one joining us. I know there is still good in you. There has to be some of that brilliant young girl I tutored many moons ago. The Modiva I knew wanted to use her brains for something beyond herself, to change the universe for the better. Join us, and use your broadcast network to spread a message of hope, and to educate the galaxies on how to defend themselves from the evil at their doorstep. I'm not going to negotiate with you, Goro, Diva said, keeping her gaze locked onto Leo. You were always one to overestimate the good in people. My offer is for you, Leo. You belong to me. Goro stepped forward. Diva, I will not! Why don't we just let him decide, hmm? Diva interrupted. There was silence as everyone looked anxiously at Leo. The quiet boy thought for a moment and then, to everyone's amazement, stepped forward and stood next to Diva. The woman set down her microphone just long enough to clap. Oh, good boy! Oh, good boy! You won't regret it! She gave him a hug and a kiss on the cheek. We must celebrate! Boys, take the crew down to the club. I'll figure out what to do with them later. The stunned cadets were taken down to the club, where a bunch of big-haired people danced under a haze of fog and colorful flashing lights. Doug couldn't believe it. Why in the world would Leo join D.Va? Sure, her offer might have sounded enticing to a genius kid like him, but how could he even trust her? He just met her. Doug looked around for a way out. The guard dancers blocked the club exits. As he looked around for another way out, he noticed the DJ. His jaw dropped. Mixon McGruff? He said, running up to him. The DJ lowered his headphones and looked down at the boy through his sunglasses. He was wearing his token yellow jacket. What the? What y'all doing here? He said. Diva captured us, Doug said. We're trying to find a way out. Sorry, kid. I'd love to help you out, but this is the DJ gig of a lifetime. If I blow this, I'll never work again. Here, you can take some of my gear if you'd like. Not sure if it'd help you any. I've got a few mixers, a turntable, and this little camera bot they gave me to record my mixing. But McGruff don't like no recording. Too much pressure. Doug considered the supplies at McGruff's feet. Suddenly, Mixon cut the music and outwalked Diva and her crowned prince, Leo. They both wore matching jumpsuits covered in purple jewels. 
Leo's dark hair was neatly combed to one side, and he looked content in his new position. Diva announced her new sidekick, and the crowd erupted in applause. McGruff flipped the music back on while Diva and Leo sat at a private table surrounded by the backup dancers, who couldn't help but dance ridiculously around them. They, like most others in the club, found themselves at the mercy of McGruff's music. He had a way of reading his audience and putting them in a trance. Doug returned to the group. I've got an idea, he said to the others. He whispered something to Goro and nodded to the supplies at Mixon's feet, then said, I'll be right back. The others watched as he walked over to Diva and Leo's table. The backup dancers briefly snapped out of their trance to try to stop him, but Diva waved them off. Diva, can I please speak to you in private? Doug asked. He glanced at Leo, but Leo looked down at the table. Diva looked him over, impressed with his boldness. You have two minutes, she said. They found a private room next to the makeup department. When they got inside, Doug glanced around the room anxiously. I want to be a star like you, he finally said, a little embarrassed. I want to be a part of your network. Both puzzled and surprised, Diva considered him. Do you have any acting experience? Not really, but I can build things. Perfect, Diva said. I can use a new set designer. Franz is getting lazy. Too much plastic. I can give you a trial run on our upcoming miniseries, Diva Goes Diving. It's a really complicated underwater set piece, a perfect opportunity to prove yourself. I can do it, Doug said, excited. Are you sure this is what you want? Diva asked him. Leo's become a good friend. I want to stick with him. Besides, you said that we're going to make your network even bigger, and I want in on the winnings. Ah, you want a piece of the cake. Of course, Doug said. But before I commit, I want to better understand how you're going to pull it off. Remind me how it works. Diva looked around the quiet, empty room to make sure they were alone. It's pathetically simple, because our audience is pathetically simple. I jam their broadcast signals and only allow them to view my shows. That, in turn, gives us all the advertising revenue and ensures we have a chokehold on the attention of the audience. The fools don't even realize how much they're being influenced. We sway their elections, we tell them what they can and can't buy, how to dress, how to act, how to think. Our media basically controls them. And when you control the way people think, you control the way people spend. And that, young man, means you will become very, very rich indeed. Assuming you're good at what you do, of course. Doug smiled. Oh, I'd say I'm pretty good at what I do. He stepped aside to reveal a small camera bot floating just behind him. Diva stared in horror at the little red light on its camera head, telling her that it was recording their entire conversation. No, she said. No, it's not what it seems. She spoke frantically into the camera, trying to explain herself to the millions of people tuning into the live broadcast. I'm not really here. This is a computer-generated image of Diva. I'm not really here. 
This has been a test of our latest special effects. The fake dialogue you've heard is a test script for my latest series, D Diva, uh, D Diva Goes. Doug left her alone to explain her pathetic excuses to the camera. When he returned to the club, the music had stopped, and everyone was silently staring up at a jumbo screen broadcasting Diva's meltdown. Goro and the cadets ran up to him. Doug, that was brilliant, Lydia said, running up and giving him a big hug. Doug blushed. Good work, Captain, Goro said. Now all we need to do is find a way back to the space train. It appears the only way out are those exit doors, but the guards sealed them shut. No worries, Figaro. I got this. They turned and saw Dallas pulling Jojo's hefty blaster from his pant leg, explaining his weird limp from before. Goro had never been so happy to be disobeyed. They watched as Dallas flipped several of the switches on the blaster and aimed it at the exit. Seeing what was happening, the backup dancers ran to stop them. Mixon McGruff smiled as he watched them push through the crowd and said, Time to get funky. He hit the bass, leaving the backup dancers with no choice but to dance. The music was just too good. They stopped mid-sprint to twirl, head bob, and jump down into the splits. Blobby jumped off Dallas's shoulder onto the blaster barrel and screamed a war cry. A blue ray blasted the metal door off its hinges. To the train! Goro said. Doug turned to Leo, who was staring up at Diva on the big screen, looking embarrassed and ashamed. Leo, let's go! Doug shouted. Leo looked at Doug, surprised. Dude, he's a traitor! Leave him! Dallas yelled. Doug waved to Leo. Come on! Leo hesitated, then jumped up and ran out the booming club with the rest of the cadets. They bolted out into the ship hangar where they found the hangar door open, and the space train uncoiled from the giant shoelaces, running and pointed at the exit, ready for a quick escape. They all looked at each other. How in the world is it all ready to go, they thought. Was someone in there waiting for them? But when they climbed aboard, they found no one, just an empty cockpit with all engines go. Leo looked down at the seat in front of the controls like he wasn't sure if he was allowed to sit down. To his surprise, Goro motioned for him to take a seat and smiled. Whenever you're ready, Leo, he said. <sniffs> Dallas shook his head and scoffed. Doug held his tongue. Part of him wanted to scoff too, but he held back. He liked Leo and wanted to believe he had a good reason to try to stay behind. Leo slowly sat down in his seat and grabbed the controls. Punch it, Goro said. Leo threw the boost levers forward and the space train rocketed out of the opening and into open space. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Space Train. Things got pretty wild. In case you didn't notice, 
Diva taught you a little something about constellations. She told you how they are patterns of stars in the night sky. And they're in the shape of people or mythical beasts or objects from Greek mythology. Like Leo, the lion that Hercules defeated. Or you have the hunter Orion and his belt and sword that come off the belt. He's my personal favorite. He's actually out in the night sky now for most of us. He's my favorite because if you look down the stars that make the sword, you will see a nebula, a cool, cloudy, stellar nebula. If you're looking with binoculars or a telescope on a dark night, it's amazing. I suggest, with a little help from your parents, you look up a star chart online or download the Google Star Map app and go outside on a clear night and see if you can identify some of the constellations. A long time ago, they were used to help navigate because they helped you identify certain stars, like the North Star, and you could tell which direction you're facing. Now, constellations change throughout the year because we're rotating around the sun, and they're going to change based on your hemisphere. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you're seeing different constellations than those who are in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, to try to paint a picture, I've heard this analogy before. Imagine you're on a merry-go-round. And the middle of that merry-go-round is the sun. So as you're going around the merry-go-round, you can't look at the center or the sun. You're looking outwards. And that is how we're viewing constellations throughout the year. Our backs are towards the sun and we're looking out at the stars at night as we revolve around the sun over the course of a year. So that starscape will change over the seasons. So you should go out there and look. I haven't taken my family out to look through my telescope in a long time. Too long. And I think part of that is because my son, who's about two, he's just the happiest little dude on the planet, Cohen. I don't think he's quite old enough yet to appreciate it. He's a little obsessed with choo-choos. And so if I took him outside, he'd probably just look at him and be like, choo-choo. Cha-cha! And have a little panic attack and make me take him back inside to his choo-choo train toy. So he's not quite there yet. But Aurora, my little sassy mamacita four-year-old, might actually enjoy it. So I need to take Aurora out to look through the telescope. And I guess that's a decent segue into announcing that we are having another baby. Number three, coming to a hospital near me this June. Baby boy on the way, guys. Super excited, a little terrified of being outnumbered, but we're cool. We'll be all right. We'll survive. Rocketeer number three, cooking in the oven. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to this story, which has been a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. If you've enjoyed these stories, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Spread the word and help us grow with the Rocketeer community. Thank you guys for your support and be sure to tune in next Monday for an all new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.